Hello, welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. I am here. That's confirmed. Yeah. And confirmed with enthusiasm. He's here both physically and in spirit. You can put that on the record. That's right. You write in, we'll send you a record of this podcast. Press in vinyl. <laughs> it will cost $60 for some reason. <laughs> The liner notes will be extensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know, what would be an, an interesting um, kind of podcast offering that I can think of like one person worldwide that would, you know, buy this is, you know, there's transcription services that are semi-automated. So we could take like one of our favorite episodes and, and have it you know, fully transcribed and then use some of those AI powered voice systems and, you know, have like the entire podcast, but as read by Charlton Heston oh. and then pressed to vinyl, like that would be an incredible waste of time and money, but it would be impressive in a way. Sure. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be impressive in a way of that someone wasted that much time and money, like as a yeah. pure modern art piece. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Dadaism in, in audio form. Yeah. I'm, I'm also very intrigued by the, the immediate choice of. Charlton Heston as the go-to voice. Sure. I think. Yeah. I don't know what that says about you, Jed, but I think it says something. Well, it's the, it's kind of, you know, the rich, powerful baritone. It's not the other stuff. Yeah. I'm, I I like the idea of our answers, but with the, yeah, the kind of the full, just kind of barely contained aggression of a, yeah. of a Charlton Heston performance. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah I think that, I think you that know. would add a, Add a rich color to the palette that is this podcast. <laughs> uh, we are not joining. You know, we c- go ahead. We could use one of those AI voice thingies and have a regular contributor for Robo Heston. Oh, like you know, I mean, like if there's like a point that we that we want to really you know, make sure it comes through, like, kind of like the audio version of underlining something, we just you know uh, set it up for it to be delivered a new and a fresh, but by Robo Heston. Okay, I think that's very good. I, I would go a step further. By the way, Lee's not on this episode. We're not just like talking over him right now. Lee's uh Yeah, no, Lee Lee is is missing in action and one day will return. Yes, we are we're recording this the week before Christmas. It will probably come out after Christmas, but Lee is a heavily in preparation for the the Christmas season services, which is pretty pretty busy for a man in his line of work. But I also like Jed's kind of James Bond pitch on that. Lee Younger Absolutely. will He's return battling. in episode 596. <laughs> Two thoughts. The first is Lee is battling the forces of Spectre right now. Sure. And you, dear listener, should ask yourself, are you bothering to join the fight? Or are you in league with Spectre? Hmm? Something to think about. The second is Lee is getting into the reason for the season. I don't really have like a second part of that that's supposed to guilt you. So it's left as an exercise to the listener. Just just think of a reason why you should feel bad because you're insufficiently Christmassy and then, you know, feel bad about it. That's that's some very end of the year job laziness from you, Jed. Like, um, <laughs> I, I would appreciate a pastor if that kind of trash got there. Like, look, folks, I, I didn't come up with the reason you need to feel bad. Just feel bad. OK, there's something you're probably <laughs> not doing that you should be or something you should be that you're not. That you should do, but you're not doing it, or you shouldn't be doing it, and you are doing it. So just, just feel bad and give stop me some it. money, okay? Either stop it or start it. Whatever the thing is that you're feeling bad about, you decide. I do like this alternative world where, like, the way most people at corporate jobs are kind of cruising for those last two, two weeks of the year is just not as much going on. Um, I, I would like yeah. it if because pastors is very much the opposite. It's their busy season, but I would like it if they just got like a week in June where they could just, everyone knew they were phoning it in, but we're fine with it. <laughs> like, uh, I didn't really write a sermon illustration this week. And normally I'd try to spin out why, what I did with my week had something to do with, you know, Luke seven, but I just, I saw a fun movie this week. Y'all want me to tell you about the movie. It doesn't have anything to do with anything. Jesus. But Plain strange novel. There's no tie really at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I know I went on for 45 minutes for 
kind of the plot of Ghostbusters too, but I just thought it was really interesting. <laughs> I don't really have a point. Um, peace be with you or whatever. See y'all next week. There's no pastor, only Zool. <laughs> That's right. So now, to, but to go back to Robo Heston for a moment. Yeah. Because I, I had a different vision for Robo Heston, which it, on weeks like today, where we were without a co-host, uh, I, I thought maybe we could, you know, if the AI got uh, sufficiently sophisticated enough, we could uh, bring in a third chair of Robo Heston. But then yeah. I thought like most AI projects, that would probably immediately spin off the rails. Probably just too intelligent. Just like, Oh, well, you know, uh, thank you for writing in that question about how your, your family sometimes doesn't respect your boundaries of what you want to talk about at uh, family get togethers. I, I think we've all been there, uh, but uh, to start things off, Robo Heston, I think you should shoot them in the face. Like, well, we can't <laughs> print that. It's also the fourth question. To that that's been your answer to. <laughs> Somebody want to get a hold of, open AI and see if we can dial down robo Heston by about a third. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot of really accusatory references to apes. Yeah. It is, um, you know, it's, it's at a certain point off putting. Yes. That, that would also be a very good, uh, your pastor's mailing it in. Just how long can he tell this introductory story before people realize it's the plot to planet of the apes? <laughs> okay. But, but, and I think this is where it becomes almost like a, a feat of strength in a sense, is it has to be told as though it's going to be a charming anecdote about their very young child, right? Like, this oh. is a go-to thing, you know, for a lot of preachers, right? It's like, you know, their their kid is three years old, and, and you know, he he got a boo-boo, but he's upset, but then he needed to be comforted. And, and doesn't doesn't Jesus comfort us in that same way? Which, to be clear, that's, that's totally fine. Sure, but relatable. I love the idea, you know— I'm going to recount the plot of the original Terminator movie, but with the beats and cadence and overall tone as though I were talking about my three-year-old son. I like that. I like that. I also like just kind of the, the folksy kind of story that didn't happen. You know, you know, I, there once I had a friend who, who went fishing. He would go every fit. He'd go fishing every Saturday. But one time his dad came with him and dad, you know, rolled all along and, and story has a, a rich meaning. Though exactly in that kind of vague cadence, but about, yeah, the Planet of the Apes movie. Yeah, I had a couple <laughs> friends, they, they were on a trip, and they, they thought they were at their destination, but they got there a little earlier. So they're riding around on a horseback, and they realized that where they thought they were going was exactly where they ended up. It's where they'd been all along. They blew it up, the maniacs. <laughs> I'm going to welcome the praise team up here to start playing our final song. <laughs> and uh, the moral of that story obviously is ape does not turn against ape <laughs> these are all free I'm, suggestions I'm by all this for you I, th the this, clergy. Is an, <laughs> this is an early christmas gift to me i'm not gonna lie this is this is great yeah i think just recounting seeing how long you can get through recounting the plot of a movie that has nothing to do with what you're saying but this is if you do it in the right tone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, like when you want to do it on hard mode, you pick something really trippy, like cloud Atlas. Sure. And just, you know, you can go for a while on that and just see if anyone notices at all. I think the catch on that one is you'd have to remind the vast, vast majority of the audience what cloud Atlas was. Well, that's fair. Like, there's really no tada at the end of that. You may no, not have no, noticed, but that not. was actually the, the plot to Cloud Atlas. <laughs> Vague <laughs> sea of faces and people Googling. It was Earth all along. That's right. Welcome to this month's sermon series from Chimpan A to Chimpanzee. <laughs> the Reverend Dr. Zayas presiding. <laughs> I know Chimpan A to Chimpanzee doesn't actually have a Bible pun in it, but this is my month off. <laughs> Come on in and enjoy, or don't. Whatever, I don't care. This is about me, y'all. It's finally time for there to be a little something for me. Yes, indeed. Um, you know, after that, uh, eight to nine minutes of utterly unhinged uh, nonsense. This is not maybe not the best time to slide this, but we'd like to thank uh, folks like our friend Hannah and others who wrote in uh, very nicely about us showing up on the their end of year, uh, wrapped. In various places, 
Anna sent yeah. a nice tweet. Some other folks reached out. So uh, thank you for spending some time with us this year, even though uh, those are the kind of things we do with your time. <laughs> yeah. Like, guys, for real, like, I, I, I'm i sure that, that Matt and Lee feel similarly. Like, I can't tell you what an honor it is that that y'all hang out with us and, and you know, listen and, and share your lives with us. Like, I, I'm just so privileged that we get to do this. Thank you so much for listening, truly. That was a that was an abrupt tone shift into sincerity from uh pastor giving Planet of the Apes sermons, but that's the kind of thing that only the show offers because no one else will do it. <laughs> that's fine. I contain multitudes, darn it. That's right. Multitudes indeed. Well, with that, we will launch into an actual official episode emergency. What? Indeed. So there was a thing that came across uh, my my face on the social medias in the past couple of weeks, and it is I'm going to drop the audio in here in case you didn't see it, but it is I think a an attitude, an ideal to take into the new year, and uh, a, a hero emerges. You may be familiar with the. The social media trend of, you know, somebody walking around often at the college campus and asking people questions and trying to catch them in kind of a man on the street interview kind of thing. And someone tried it with the wrong person. We play that audio for you now. A hero finds his moment. LGBTQ rights or economic stability? Why can't you have both? You need to pick one. I refuse the question. You can't refuse the question. I do. But you can't. But I did. But you need to pick one. No, I don't. I just said you did. <laughs> so what? Can you pick one? Uh, no, because they're both doable. No. Only <laughs> one. I don't have to pick one because you can have both. But the answer is that both is not an answer. It's not a valid answer. I reject your question. You can't reject it. I just did. Can you pick one? I don't have to. Why? Because they're both completely doable. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that as much as Jed and I did. So we listened to it uh, before we started here. And we enjoyed it greatly. If that's the first time you've heard yeah. the audio, allow me to enhance your enjoyment by painting a picture. The person asking the question with the, oh, you'd rather have LGBT rights or economic stability um, is, a, is a young man with a, a very poofy haircut, uh, wearing a T-shirt with uh, the praying hands on it that says, my pronouns are except Jesus. <laughs> okay. So, um... Central casting of the villain of the piece. It's, it, we don't have time on this episode, but maybe every Christian everywhere, it requires some reflection to realize that if you see someone on the internet that mentions Jesus on their t-shirt, you know they're going to be the jerk in the video you're about to see. Yeah. And that's of concern. And then I'll hand over to Jed. Would you like to describe the the costume? the uniform that our hero is engaged in, in this particular clip. I, I would be very happy to. So, you know, I want to be clear. I, the following things, none of these are, are negative in any way, shape or form. And so, you know, I, I want us to, to keep that in mind because I'm going to be describing things that, you know, at times are, are considered, you know, perhaps less than complimentary. None of them are meant that way. It is simply a depiction of, again, our reigning champion in this unfortunate encounter. So we have with us um, a gentleman who, first of all, is wearing a Bluetooth earpiece. Now, some years ago, Wired Magazine um, had a front cover with Brad Pitt on it, also wearing a Bluetooth earpiece with the caption, uh, Brad Pitt is barely pulling this off, parentheses, you are not Brad Pitt. And so, uh, in general, the, the Bluetooth earpiece is probably not a good way to go. Um, we are also rocking um, a very significant ponytail. Um, we're, we're doing, as, as Matt put it earlier, we got the members-only jacket um, on, on full display. I think my overall description, um, if you're a longtime listener to this show, you, you may know that in college I studied engineering, which is the nerdiest of all majors. And... Um, Despite what you have seen on shows like, um, uh, what's the the sciencey show, the the Big Bang Theory? Oh yeah. Despite what you've seen on on Big Bang Theory, 
most engineering students, and this definitely included me, um, both were major nerds and and dressed accordingly. And so um, th- this gentleman is in keeping with the proud engineering school tradition and um, very much is presenting as I or really any of my classmates might have presented in our engineering school days. I, I believe the theme would be function over form. Very strongly so. My flip-flops are comfortable, but it's too cold to have bare feet. I will put socks on under them. I have solved that problem, and now I'm ready to go. Huzzah! As Jed points out, maybe this I, this gentleman seems like he might, to speak at broad stereotypes, might occasionally peruse a Wired magazine. And I'm guessing yes. if he saw that Brad Pitt cover, he would think, but it lets me take a hands-free phone call. That's the point of the Bluetooth earpiece. I don't care what it looks like. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And again, so yeah. decisions we celebrate. Totally. And and it's worth noting that uh, just as this gentleman is celebrating um, function over form, the antagonist in this encounter is pretty clearly trying to be uh, fashion forward. Um, and so there there is an interesting uh, juxtaposition of uh, opposing worldviews and more than just the ones you'd expect. Yes. Yes, indeed. And, uh, you know, again, we released this episode after Christmas, but uh, maybe you think back to family interactions. Maybe you, you look looking forward to things you're going to have to deal with in the in the new year. It's perfectly acceptable and sometimes the right place to go. I reject that question. Yeah. They say, but if you had to pick, but I don't. I don't have to. You can do this. You don't have to do it out loud. Maybe you should. You can do this uh, with with maybe sermon examples you would hear. In line or things you would read on the internet, people would say, well, we, we were going on this path because now women want to work. You'd be like, those things aren't related. Nope. Not a thing. I, actually, we have a great example of exact. We have a, a little activity for this kind of ah. uh, mindset. Comes to us from uh, the website Quora, which you may note as uh, the uh, Google results you get if you keep, keep scrolling past Reddit and Wikipedia. You might get to Quora a question and answer based website. And uh, often it's things of uh, maybe things that are hero of the piece. You would think he might be answering people saying, oh, I, you know, here's what, here's the thing that's wrong with my phone or how do I fix this? And the helpful people, Cora will jump in there sometimes, but somebody put this atheists comma. This is how, you know, you're off to a hot start. <laughs> atheists. <laughs> Imagine you're going skydiving with a Christian baby. Suddenly, the baby tells you he won't open his parachute until you renounce atheism and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. What would you do? I would have a lot of questions. I'm not going to lie. Like, and I think my first one is, why is there a baby skydiving? That's that's where I would like to begin. Yes. What makes a Christian baby, I think, is a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where are this baby's parents? Yeah. Why, why is this baby been given agency over the operation of their shoot. Yes. I like I, I've been skydiving. You have to sign a lot of forms. Yeah. Yeah. D- did the skydiving company allow the baby to sign its own forms and to be a part of this unattended? Because that just raises more questions. Maybe he went to sign up and they're like, we can't let you go. You're a baby. And he started talking and they're like, well, that's weird. Then he started asking really weird hypothetical youth pastor scenarios. And they were like, you know what? Just jump. but here's the fun the really fun part of this to me is i can't tell if this is an atheist being weird on the internet or a christian being weird on the internet oh yeah that's a really good point it really could go both ways right the fact that we can't tell is part of what makes it magical that's kind of incredible because this could definitely be the the classic like oh what if you know you knew you're gonna die tonight and pascal's wager and all that whatnot but it could also just as easily be like an a, an a, an internet atheist being like, "How committed are you? Would you be willing yeah. to die for nothing?" Which is what we believe. So in this case, it is dying for your beliefs. Yeah, yeah. You let that baby bully you. Just another quick question. So. One of the things that I do think is important in, in this scenario is they don't specify when in the process this interaction is taking place, because if it's taking place before we left the plane, it feels like we could really take our time and get into it. 
and and maybe like inform the pilot that there's a scenario and maybe we should hold off on the jump. If we're led to believe that it's occurring during the jump, my understanding is that it's almost impossible to hear anything um, when you're yeah. skydiving because you have, you know, air rushing past your ears at a, at a very, very high rate. So the overall interaction of I will refuse to open my parachute unless you renounce atheism and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that being screamed by a baby and being loud enough and intelligible enough during an actual drop scenario, just I, that feels impractical. I, I, I feel like there are some logistical hurdles here in addition to the philosophical ones. Yes, a key to them is, is, is this positing a situation in which you are tandem skydiving with the baby and the baby has oh. control of the chute? Because that's, oh. that's kind of the way I read it at first. I realize that's not in the text, but... Because you know, that's your peril. Right. That, wow. that, that kind of makes it the, you know, the post Columbine made up thing of what if someone pointed a gun at you and t- made you said, renounce Jesus or uphold the trigger. As we've talked about before on oh. the show, uh, real things that churches acted out. Yeah. In the 2000s. Um, so there is that. But I, I do realize now that there, the other scenario is just a baby trying to guilt you with its own splatterfication. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm not pulling the shoot unless you say you love Jesus. Hmm. I'm sticking. <laughs> well, that why, that why was my original read. Christian baby. Why? <laughs> like that would be if you if you give into the fiction of the scenario, that would be so much to take in. You're skydiving. Um, presumably you've done it before because again, the first like handful of times at least that you go skydiving, you you have to do it tandem. So yeah. at least the baby is an experienced skydiver who apparently has control over whether or not to pull their own chute. So you're skydiving, right. your terminal velocity, wind whipping by you, you know, uh, enjoying the scenery or the rush or whatever. And, and then to Judd's point, you have to notice that someone is, some other skydiver is trying to get your attention. You have to realize, well, that's a baby. And that baby's talking to me. It's yeah. very hard to hear, so I have to focus. And the baby is threatening to not open their chute unless I renounce my atheism. Yeah. Can I can I get in there? How does the baby know you're an atheist to begin with? This is also a very good point. Like, you don't get to, like, sharpie your own skydiving outfit, I don't think. They pretty much just give you the jumpsuit. Yeah. So not only is this baby being passive aggressively trying to evangelize to me using the leverage of its own death, it's also profiling me. Yeah. Yeah. Man, this, I, I gotta be honest. This is like a, you know, I think three total sentences on Quora and this just opens up so many avenues for exploration. Yeah. In some ways, this is a bad example to go back to a debate champion there because there's so many things where you say, I don't know. I'm not having that argument. I don't grant that premise. This, on the other hand, is is a rich narrative that I think we're better off for for getting into and walking <laughs> around in. So maybe that's the maybe that's the message. <laughs> well, you know, you're very correct, right? That when you first go skydiving, you know, it has to be tandem. And my understanding is that in a tandem skydive, it's the instructor that would always have control over the shoot because it would be deeply unsafe and irresponsible to have a first time skydiver, you know, uh, make that decision. Yes. So if it were the other way around, it would kind of defeat the point of tandem and just be like punishment for the instructor. It, precisely. How good at instructing are you? Do they know when to pull it? Do they? Well, we'll find out. <laughs> so with the tandem thing in mind, is your baby, your instructor? Is that what we're talking about? Cause I would like to know how this baby became a skydiving instructor at such a young age. I mean, there's precocious and then there's absurd. And sir, I think we may have delved fully into the latter. This is a, this is a direct to streaming sequel to boss baby where they've really, really worn the premise thin. But, but if we could have this still voiced by Alec Baldwin, my interest level would go up. I mean, well, given the scenario, we could get whatever one of them's a weirdo Christian now. Stephen Baldwin. Stephen, yeah, yeah. This is a Stephen Baldwin project right here. Skydiving <laughs> evangelist baby. 
Oh man, I am. I'm ready for that on 4K UHD. That's right. And, I, and again, uh, we and this our last episode, likely last episode of the year. We 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 invite you, listening audience, to think in the upcoming uh, year. Will this weird scenario a person's trying to talk to me about bring me as much joy as skydiving evangelist, baby? And if not, <laughs> then you just say, I don't, I don't grant your question. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's two paths for you to, uh, to take two different coping strategies on when to grant the premise and when not to, to take into the new year. And on that, we will declare emergency <laughs> off. That was a journey, much like yeah. the one that Skydiving Evangelist Baby went on. <laughs> now, we do have uh, some, great qu- some great questions from you, the listening audience, came in through our email and our Tumblr. You have this all the way to the end. I'll use some ways to get in touch with this. Or you can scroll down to your episode description and click the links you find there. The first question comes in and says, Reading Bible books like number f- Numbers 5 makes me very angry to be a Christian. How do you guys reconcile such content in the Bible? How do you keep hope for decent relationships between men and women? Thanks for your thoughts. So, uh, for a little context, uh, Numbers 5 has a a few things that I think our our friend here might be referring to. Uh, One is there is uh, instructions for uh, what to do with people who are ritually unclean Mm. and uh, casting them out of the the camp that people are in. Uh, On that list uh, given here and in other places in the Old Testament is uh, women who are menstruating. So. That's not exactly a modern situation for things. And then there is also a very, uh, a very long and descriptive passage about uh, what to do if a husband su- uh, suspects but cannot prove that their wife has been unfaithful, and it involves going to the the uh, priest and going to the temple and swearing of oaths and other such things. And it is uh, certainly through a modern lens. Uh, pretty one-sided, and I think that's entirely fair. So I, I assume, Jed, that when our friend says that that's a kind of thing that makes them uh, angry and understandable and that it needs uh, how do you reconcile that and hopes for relationships between men and women, uh, there's obviously a lot going on here. But with that kind of basic information started off, where would we jump in here? Well, one of the things, let me let me offer kind of what works for me, um, and, and perhaps it will be of use to you, but the, the place that I would begin, the thing that I would say to you for myself is I am not an apologist for the Bible and I am not trying to be an apologist for the Bible. Um, it is unavoidable uh, that at the very least, for example, the, the Bible contains accounts of God directing God's people to engage in what by any modern definition is genocide and ethnic cleansing. Um, and, um, I don't, I don't know how to explain that. And I'm, I'm actually not trying to, um, any problematic part of the Bible that, that you want to read, um, if you're interested, there are more scholars than you can shake a stick at who have, you know, taken a a keen whack through, uh, the millennia and the centuries at, um, you know, how they reconcile that and, and how they explain that to themselves. And, and if that's something that's of interest to you, that's great. Um, I am not a Bible scholar. Um, I, I've read the book. Um, I, I know a bit more about it probably than, than the average bear. Um, but I'm, I'm not a Bible scholar and I am not. Bible ab- literacy in the bear community is a big problem. <laughs> and that's a nonprofit I'm going to be starting. And I look forward to all of your financial support. <laughs> You you would think with all the time they spend hibernating, they could at least have a nice quiet time. Meditate on the word, maybe. <laughs> I'm going so, to be mauled to death, but <laughs> that's what the mission field requires. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so many things I'm not saying. So please. Um, uh but but I would start just with that idea of like, I am not an apologist for the Bible. I love Jesus. I have a relationship with God. Um, I am a person of faith. But I am not an apologist for the Bible, and I'm not trying to be one. And I would encourage you, one of the things that I think is a really unfair burden that is put on people that grow up in evangelicalism is to be taught that you need to have an ironclad answer for every question that every person could possibly ask you that pertains to your faith. And, um, man, that's that's an awfully 
weighty burden to put on a nine-year-old. Um, you don't have to carry that burden. You don't have to be able to explain everything in the Bible. You don't have to be able to um, convince people that what looks entirely like genocide isn't really genocide if you just look at it this very you know specific way. Um, for me, I have a relationship with a higher power that has transformed who I am as a person um, and has made me who I am today. And I have witnessed that be true in the lives of many, many, many other people. And I have, I have seen the, the miracle of rebirth take place in my own life and in the lives of, of, you know, friends and family and, and loved ones. And the, the Bible informs a great deal of that process. But again, I'm, I'm not here to be an apologist for the Bible. Um, I want to pause there before we get to the how do we you know keep hope for decent relationships between men and women because I think that alone deserves its own consideration. The, the one other thing that I want to point out there is literally everybody picks and chooses what they pay attention to out of the Bible. Um, there is you can go to the most conservative church in the world that tells you you know we believe the Bible the whole Bible nothing about the Bible yeah but do you greet one another with a holy kiss on the way in um, because if not and you don't um, then you're you're not you're not following everything in the Bible. And so everybody picks and chooses. Everybody is trying to figure out how to reconcile what is in the Bible with the life that they live today. Um, no one does that perfectly. And I think that should give you permission that you don't have to be able to do that perfectly either. Matt, what would your take on that be? I, I entirely agree. Um, I, the the older I get, and the more I've been doing, the longer I've been doing the Christian thing. Uh, to Jed's exact point, um, as far as a lot of things that are in the Bible, a lot of them are in the Old Testament. But that's not necessarily an excuse. I do think one of the things that particularly modern Christians fall into is uh, treating the Old Testament as if it is, uh, like the Silmarillion. And it's one of those things of like, well, a lot of that just didn't really track into the final cut. So you just read the, you just read the Lord of the Rings, and you actually get what he was going for. Um, you know, it's in there. Jesus references the Old Testament scriptures. Um, he says that he comes to fulfill scripture, not to not to negate it. So we do have to deal with that. But uh, the, the older I get, and the more I do this, um, my my kind of default idea. And you know, I don't necessarily put it like this. I don't want to seem descriptive. It's like, well, why did God say this? You got to take that up with Him. Yep. And I I don't mean that again. I don't mean that in a dismissive way. That's um, I believe what Jed is describing there, and what I've tried to do of like. You got to work that out with him. I didn't write this stuff down. I don't think that's the way I would have done it. But, and hey, it, the, here's the the thing you're probably not supposed to say in front of Christians, but here we are. Um, I've also gotten to the point where people say, I just, I can't do it. I, I understand. Yeah. I don't feel that way. And I, I, I certainly hope you, you can come around and see kind of other aspects of this and uh, work through this and the fullness of a way that uh, makes sense to you. But yeah, well, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to pitch you on anything. Uh, the, again, the more and more I get into it, I, I don't think anyone's ever, as we talk a lot on the show, I don't think anyone's ever come to faith in, in Christ because they they read the whole of systematic theology and everything totally made sense to them. And I, I think as often as people deconstruct and fall away and that, or whatever version or severity of that process they're, they're on, um, I think it's rarely because they the contradictions just fell too much into that. I think often it is because of the way people treated them yep, and covered up with that, uh, with Scripture, which gives them a real distaste for uh, things of the Bible and things of God. So uh, using that to transition into your second half of your question that Jen mentioned there, you know, how do we look at this and ever have hope for, for uh, relations between men and women? I mean, you get your uh, phrasing here. Um, you can just not be a jerk. Yeah. That's cool. If you're a guy, you know, how do you keep hope for decent relations between men and women? I have very decent relationships with, with any number of women, with, uh, my spouse, with friends, with coworkers, with uh, people I've done ministry with. And, uh, I, I show them respect because they are, they are people and they deserve respect. They're made in the image of God and they should have respect. The fact that 4,000 years ago in a Middle Eastern culture that is written about in this book that women who were suspected of infidelity went through a very rigorous and what certainly seems to my eyes, a one-sided 
uh, justice process that was tied up with a religious process, as all the factors of that government were, really doesn't affect my relationship with my wife or really any woman I know, because uh, I don't live then, and I don't do things that way. I don't live in a... If I... Uh, if in modern America someone expects suspects their spouse of divorce, you do not go to your religious official, uh, and you shouldn't. Yeah, I say that as someone who's religious, you should not go to your pastor. You should go to your, you could go to your pastor if you want to talk through your emotions of that and want to get a you know a step on how to go next and how to deal with things. But uh, for no legal wrangling, should you be going to any kind of religious official? You can just uh, go down to uh, you can call a divorce lawyer or a family therapist, those might be good calls to make and do things that way. Now, not to engage in what Jed was talking about earlier, kind of over-intellectualizing and rationalizing, but uh, there are some people who are Bible scholars who think that what's being described here in Numbers 5 is a very hush-hush and roundabout way to give someone an abortificent. Um, It talks about, you know, the woman drinking a bitter water that will cause her to miscarry if she's been cheating. Um, So, that's very interesting and layered in ways to you know, manage a society and deal with things. Um, so I do think there is something to be said for understanding what we read in the Bible, because um, one of the, I, I do have a degree in history. And one of the things that I have, I've taken as I've read about really any place in time in the world is the phrase, the past is a foreign country. In the same way you can't go to, you couldn't uh, be an American person who goes to Tibet and just assumes that everything will make sense to you and you will intuit what people mean by things and uh, the structures and relationships that are going on uh, because this is a different culture to yours. You are in a foreign country. In the same way, literally the entire past, um, you you should not assume that people in the 1980s uh, meant what you assume they mean if you just read about a scenario. There's There's more going on there. There's a context for that. So I think there is some stuff in Numbers 5 that may not be as egregious or as exactly as you think the first time you read it, but uh, there's plenty of stuff there in black and white that's wrong. If a, a woman is going through a perfectly natural state of menstruating, um, you know, making them leave the campsite is not cool. And uh, I just, I don't do that. Um, there are very, very few uh, scenarios in life where anyone uh, would mention to me uh, the status of whether or not they're menstruating. But if if whatever that happened, I probably wouldn't say, well, please leave town and I'll see you when you get back. Because <laughs> that's not what we do here, as Jed points out. And it's one of the things that's helped me the most as I've kind of matured and grown in relationship with Christ that everybody, 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 everybody all the time is picking and choosing what they take out of the Bible. If someone has written a book or preached a message or put a thing on social media referencing this chapter to be misogynist, they were not not misogynist Then they read a Bible passage. They started out as a misogynist, and then they went searching for things in the Bible to tell them that they as a man are better than a woman. Yep. That is the order of operations on that 100% of the time. Very few things in life are sure. That is a surety. Um, so that, um, the, the first part of your question in a lot of ways was, was the tricky one. And the second half, I, th- I think to, to my eyes, it's a little, is a little easy one. Cause you actually have control over your actions. Yep. You don't have control over why God did certain things or why certain things are in the Bible, but, uh, you cannot be weird to women just because they're women. And that is a great thing. Jed, uh, what would you add to, to the second half of this here? How do you keep hope for decent relationships between men and women? I, I think it starts from giving people equality giving which by the way is in the bible the idea of in christ there's neither male nor female but all are one in christ um equality is where justice begins equality is where and justice is where stability begins um you know uh, stability is where decent relationships begin so i I think that in a lot of ways it, it boils down to equality and i would suggest to you two kinds of equality um to really focus on uh the first is recognizing that money is power and that um, equality of pay is one of the things that every person who has a voice should be raising their voice to achieve. 
In the United States and other parts of the world, women are paid 80 cents on the dollar for the same job that a man is doing. That is immoral. It is wrong. It is also unbiblical. The Bible is very clear that a worker deserves their wages. Um, Stealing from people because of their gender is a wicked thing and should not happen. And it is only allowed to happen because we refuse to talk about it. Um, I would challenge you in whatever ways you have in your life, the ability to do this, to be a part of campaigning for equal pay for people, regardless of gender, uh, which again, if you want to wind up with, um, as you put it, decent relationships between men and women, that is one of the things that is going to get us there. The other form of equality um, is equal representation in both leadership structures and in the stories that we tell. So uh, women are roughly speaking 50% of the population. It's not exactly, but roughly speaking, um, they do not, generally speaking, make up 50% of leadership roles. And in general, there is not a good reason for that. Women have just as much to contribute to um, leading organizations and communities and anything else as as men do um, and should be represented just as strongly. Similarly, people believe that they are capable of things when they see those things lived out in stories. Women should be the protagonists of about half of our movies and our books and our video games. Representation really super, super matters. I think to work backwards from the idea of decent relations, if you want decent relations, it's going to boil down to equality. It's going to boil down to fairness. And those are things that you can be a part of voting for with both uh, the way that you carry yourself, uh, the, the commentary that you share in the world, the way that you spend the dollars and the way that you cast your ballots. I think that's all fantastic stuff about, except about the part about women being in video games. That's icky. And uh, <laughs> that shouldn't be allowed. That is, I think that's the downfall of society for some reason. I'm not clear about that, but you know, I saw it on the internet. So sure. it must be true. Absolutely. There's nothing faults on the internet. Yes, there, there is to, the, to that exact uh, point. And this is, if you are a male type person, this is a wonderful thing to, to just uh, keep a check with yourself if you want to uh, wonder how, how much you are contributing to uh, decent relations between men and women. They've done actual studies on, like psychological studies on when men think something is equal. So they will basically start with a room that's kind of, you know, 90% men and they'll, they'll change the, the makeup gender wise. And they'll say, okay, tell us when you think this is 50-50. And most of the time, men say it's 50-50 when it's about 75% men. Um, and again, not, not saying that these are all awful people. Uh, this is just, that's the, much like the people of Numbers 5, or is Numbers 5 is a product of a culture. You are a product of a culture yep. and a time. So something to, to keep an eye on. And to take us back to the, the initial emergency if someone says, well, weaker vessel and originally unpure, and therefore, here's what you can say that. No. Yep. Nope. Don't buy that. Don't buy that at all. Um, there's a lot a lot of women mentioned in the Bible, a lot of women mentioned favorably in leadership positions. And I know there's like one verse in Corinthians where Paul talks about the way he runs a church. And there's this verse in Numbers where somebody talks about the way you should uh, go before the high priest of ancient Jerusalem. Uh, Paul's not running churches anymore. Uh, there are no uh, high priests of ancient Jerusalem anymore. So um, I, I don't think that we have to concern ourselves with that uh, as we go forward living in the actual world we live in. With that said, we're going to move on to our second question here. It comes in and says, I know it's the Christian thing to be kind to people when they are being unkind to me. But like, how kind do I need to be? And this, this here, is, we appreciate all the questions that come into this podcast. But I think this fair to say, Jed, that this is right up our alley. Oh, man. So where would we go with it? Well, it's a great question. It's very on point for us. I don't think there is one answer to this question. And, and part of the reason why there's not one answer to this question is the details really, really matter. Um, so let's actually put some left and right limits on that. Um, if you are in a situation that is unsafe, if you are in a situation that is abusive, if you are in a situation... Um, that is, you know, actively hurting you, priority number one simply needs to be to get out of that situation. Um, uh, figuring out how to do that in a kind way is, uh, let's not worry about that. Get out of that situation. If, if you're in a situation, again, where you are being abused and where um, you are being hurt and where it is unsafe for you, 
the priority is to find a way to exit that situation. To be clear, I'm not saying that that is easy to do. Um, uh, there are resources available to help depending on the kind of situation that you're dealing with. Uh, getting a hold of those resources is, generally speaking, a very, very good idea. What I am saying is that if you are trying to exit something colossally toxic, trying to figure out how to be nice about it on top of that is not an extra pressure that you need to add on top of that. So that would be a boundary in, in one direction. In the far other uh, direction, I think we have situations where um, I don't really like these people very much. I'm moving on. Um, they don't really have the power to hurt me or anything. There's kind of a kind way that I could uh, move on, and there's kind of an unkind way that I could move on. And um, I guess it's probably pretty Christian to me to try and do it in the kind way, which, yeah, that's that's probably true, generally speaking. Um, but the details of all of this really, really matter. I'll tell you the way that in general, when we're not dealing with extreme situations, I'll tell you the ways that I am typically trying to uh, approach this. It actually begins with me asking myself a question, which is, who do I want to be? And despite all of the dark brooding antihero movies uh, out there, I don't want to be that. I actually want to be a person who faces the world with kindness and compassion. That, that is who I want to be. And I'm not choosing that for everybody else's sake. Exactly. Exactly. I'm choosing it because that's who I want to be. That that's who I choose to be in the world. I have the ability to be vengeful and wrathful. Um, and I definitely have the ability to be very, very stern if I need to, but when it is possible, I want to face the world for my own sake with kindness and compassion, um, because that's the person that I, that I want to be and that I, I choose to be. So that's kind of step one. Step two for me is asking how much do I actually have in the tank on the day that I'm in? Um, it it would be nice to – I can envision a world where I have layers upon layers upon layers of kindness and compassion and there's you know a plate of fresh-baked cookies involved and a poem that I wrote for people who weren't very nice to me just to, to show them my love. Man, there are some days where the kindness version – is me having nothing to say to you because I do not have the ability to say anything pleasant at all. So I'm going to simply um, leave and and leave everything unsaid. That's that's as good as I've got. That's as much kindness as I've got in in the tank. You may note that with all of this, again, there's not one right answer. There, there's not like, you know, you, you do X, then Y, then Z, and you've Christianed it. I think it is more... Again, noting, are we in an emergency situation and letting, you know, that be its own thing? If we're not, who do you want to be both today and in the future? And how much gas, how much fuel do you have to put into that in terms of being kind to people who don't deserve it as you are figuring out what you need to do for you? I think that's that's fantastic stuff from Jed there. I would, I would totally agree with all that. Uh, the other layer I would put into this is there's. And you ask, you know, how kind do I need to be? There's exactly as Jed said there, kind of situationally what's called for. And then there is a level of, okay, in whatever, as Jed points out, not emergency way, this person is being uh, kind of a jerk to me and I should be kind to them back. How much effort do I need to put into that for it to count as kindness? And uh, the answer is often not a lot. Um, uh, there, there's a great kindness and just not giving someone uh, the space to further make an ass out of themselves. That's pretty good. Um, there's this kind of not stewing in or bringing other people into um, pointing out how awful this person is being. Um, now, again, as, as Jed points out, I, when I say don't bring other people into it, I, if there's a situation where you need to uh, engage some kind of authority figure, a teacher or a, social worker or the actual authority authorities, then please do that. But in the sense of, you know, could I tell everyone at work that this person said this stupid offensive thing to me? Yep, I definitely could. And they would think he's a jerk and they probably already know. And this would be further stuff, but you know, I'm going to put in the HR report because that's, that is the right thing to do. And uh, then I'm probably going to just like, just going to let that sink. I'll, you know, I'll talk to my partner about it or my friends about it when I get home, but I'm just not going to talk about it at work. That's fine. You can also yeah. talk about it at work because there is another aspect here of, are there third parties in this that acting in a certain way would be a kindness to? Yep. 
So if the person says the jerky thing at work, then it's, you know, sexist or racist or uh, just weird. Um, again, uh, there's not an inherent kindness and in not going to HR. It's maybe a kindness to them. It's not a kindness to the next person they do it to. Um, if you find yourself in a position, as kind of going back to the last question, as often uh, white men are to maybe bring this up in a way that another person who was the direct recipient of it or is another part of a marginalized group may not be able to, to fully do, then that is a kindness. Is it a kindness to the person? Well, hopefully they learn their lesson that it ends up being a kindness to them, but uh, it's a kindness in general. So I, I do think sometimes we get a little bit, st- I don't want to say stuck in, cause it's definitely a good thing. The idea of, you know, forgive your enemies and, and turn the other cheek. It's definitely Christian. I think that as Jed points out, there's, there's a kind of person I want to be in the world and it definitely involves that. But there are also more socially complex and more multi-layered situations where doing the kind thing in general does not mean necessarily being the nicest to the offending party. Yep. Um, you should, I think a good goal in these things is treat them better than their actions deserve. So if, you know, in a reasonable world, their actions deserve a punch in the face. And what you do is say, um, that wasn't super cool. And maybe you should, maybe you should head outside for a minute and just get some air and, and cool down. Then, then you have done a kindness. This was a better action than what they deserved. And that is, I think a useful, a useful uh, lens to see that through without and move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, Sometimes when I see churches or ministries try to hop on a social media trend or do something, this is maybe the heaviest use of quotation marks in the history of this show. Cool. It kind of rubs me the wrong way. Like it's cheapening the message to put it to a TikTok dance. Is that legit? Or am I falling into the same thing as people who don't want contemporary worship just because it doesn't seem as churchy? I think this is another very, very cool question. And Jed, where would we start off here? It's a great question. I'm glad you wrote in. So, All faith traditions, certainly everyone that I'm aware of, all faith traditions include some concept of the sacred, right? And sacred is a word that really just means set apart for some kind of special purpose. Uh, So by definition, if whatever the thing is, if it's not set apart, at least on, on some level, then it isn't really sacred. So on the one hand, we have the idea, again, that all faith traditions, not just Christianity, you know, all faith traditions have the idea of, of things that are that are sacred, which means they're set apart. And if they're not set apart, then this, you know, it, it, the thing begins to fall apart. I mean, like this is a, 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 an absurd analogy, but like churches um, all need money, but they're not uh, renting out their baptismal font to use as a punch bowl for frat parties uh, because um, it's set apart. Uh, there's a specific purpose for it. And so they are, um, they are foregoing money, um, for the sake of something being sacred. I mean, similarly, like plenty of churches could rent out the space to use, uh, for raves, right? They're not doing that because the, the space is, is set apart for, um, a, a higher purpose, if you will. At the same time, living a life of faith, and this is true in most faith traditions. It's super true in Christianity. The act of living a life of faith means finding a way to integrate the sacred into the everyday. One of the fundamental things about Christianity is that you are not meant to have your religion, which sits on a a shelf for a particular day of the week, and then you have your everyday life. Very much to the contrary, and Paul is actually very clear about this, as, as is Jesus, your faith is meant to work its way through all aspects of your life. It, it is meant to be to be there throughout your life. And, and actually, this is echoed in the scriptures of the Old Testament as well, that this is your faith is not meant to be compartmentalized. And so we have this really interesting contrast of, um, on the one hand, uh, your faith involves things that are sacred, which means that they're set apart. But you are also supposed to take these sacred set apart things and work them into your day to day life. Work them into your life where you have bad breath when you get up in the morning and you are tired and you are annoyed and this guy cuts you off in traffic and you want to run him over. Um, Somehow the sacred is supposed to 
be infused into all of those things. I don't think there's a perfect way to do that. And I definitely don't think that there is one way to do that. When when the Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, I think that's part of what it's referring to is that mixture of the sacred and the everyday is something you have to work out for your own self. And so does everybody else. And so um, if it's working for you, great. If, if it's not, maybe change some things. But the one thing that I would add in the spirit of left and right boundaries is it's okay to have strong preferences, but we don't have to try to imbue them with moral significance. Let me, let me explain what I mean. I don't like Meatloaf's music, and I've been very, very clear about that on this show. In case you're not caught up, I do not like Meatloaf's music. However, I am under no delusions that I am morally good for disliking Meatloaf's music or that you are morally bad for thinking Bad Out of Hell is a pretty good rock record. Um, We are both allowed to have our Meatloaf-related views, and neither of us is in the moral right because... Preferences don't really have a moral quality to them. You're allowed to look at TikTok and a lot of the aesthetics that surround it and be like, man, that's just not my jam. It's not my thing. I don't, I don't like it at the best of times. And when you try and make, you know, TikTok plus Christianity, it just feels weird to me. It's just, it just doesn't do it for me. You are totally allowed to feel that way. Where we start to get into trouble is when we're like, and that makes me morally good. That's where we run into a problem. And I think it's worth noting that actually not all of, because there's a lot of problems, but like many of the problems in cultural Christianity can be traced to taking strong aesthetic preferences and attaching moral significance to them. That is basically always a problem. It's no worries to have strong preferences, strong aesthetic preferences, be like, I like this. I don't like this. It's when we insist that there's a moral and spiritual significance to our preferences that we start to judge other people and to get ourselves into trouble. I think that's a really, really strong point. Um, I, I would add there's, there's exactly as Jed says there, you know, oh, you know, I think these social media trends are silly and people doing them Christian is, is silly as well. And I, I definitely fall into that myself. And even in social media trends, I don't think you're silly. It's, it's, it's fine when you're talking about Taylor Swift or whatever, but then when the person makes the, the really overcooked thing about like, this is POV, the rapture, and it's a, you know, a song going on in the background. Here's, but as Jed points out, something can be weird to me without uh, really doing the moralizing. And here, this is a much finer a line to draw. And maybe I'm, I'm falling the wrong side of it, and that's fine. I, I often try to cut it off, cut it down to, I don't think these are serious people. Sure. They're saying like, I saw one recently. It was, I'm sure they're very nice people. It was three middle-aged ladies who I think are run a church or some kind of church group. And they're, they're doing some kind of TikTok dance. And over it is text about how um, we know you have religious trauma, but our church is cool. So come hang out. And it's one of those things of like, Oh, I don't, I don't know if that's really the way to deliver that. I don't know if put a, put a moral, any moral or preference aside. Um, I just don't know if this is a situation where the, where the message you're giving matches up with the medium you've chosen. And that's always, always tricky to pull off. But as, as far as I try to allow myself to go is I don't think these are serious people. And as such, I'm not, I'm not going to onboard what they're doing and that's fine. Um, in the same way, you know, I, I assume this happens on college campuses. Uh, again, going all the way back to the emergency, definitely walked by a lot of places around college. If some guy, sometimes they were in a suit, sometimes they were being, uh, you know, yelling about homosexuality and uh, that little Bible in their hand, and uh, you can get pissed off at them. And certainly, it helps that I was never part of a group they were targeting for hate speech. So that's also another thing, but. As far as just the goofiness of it, when I was very, very young and doing actual ministry and stuff, there was part of me that was uh, very offended in a way that they were, you know, this is not helping. This is a waste of time and effort. And you, uh, this is making it harder for anyone to minister to these people who actually has a hard, who actually has a heart to do it because you're, you're making us all look like clowns. And I think that's necessarily wrong, but, uh, you know, who has the time or the energy? (laughs) I think you can, in the same way in a digital space, you can go like, I don't, you're, you're, I think this is extremely lame and that's fine. People are allowed to do lame things. Yeah. They do them all the time. And, but similarly to you, you're also allowed to think, think things are lame or yeah. 
uncool, or even what you're describing here in a certain term is sacrilege. And I see things a lot, particularly that people do on the internet in the name of Christianity, that I think are sacrilegious, and I'm actually offended about them. But I don't need to tell them because, you know, I'm just a guy. It is, you know, you draw the analogy of, or am, am I just a person who, you know, doesn't like contemporary worship because it's not, it's not churchy enough. Um, there, there's plenty of people I'm sure of the years who I, I assume that's less of a thing now, but I don't, I've, I've never heard, heard a pastor tell the horror story about someone who came to them and said, I don't really love the music pastor and it's, it's, it's hurting my ability to do worship. So I'm going to go find a, a more traditional church, but you know, t- our time has been lovely and I wish you nothing but the best and let's, let's grab coffee at some point. I'm going to, this isn't for me anymore. So that's cool. What they tell the nightmare story about is the person who still comes every week and just will not shut up about how much they hate the music. This is not a person in purpose in search of a solution or a yep. positive experience or any kind of growth. So there's actually, again, and this goes back to something we talked about earlier. We have to decouple people who are really annoying about something and the core issue. Cause you're allowed to not like whatever music you want. You know, I would I would certainly snarkily point out that if you're not um, if you're not pushing for a har- a ten stringed lyre and a harp, then uh, your your organ is just as alien to the the you know worship described in the Bible as an acoustic guitar. But eh, it's really splitting hairs at that point. So uh, you're allowed to think things are sacrilegious. You probably should. It's good to hold things sacred. And one of the things about holding things sacred is you will see people violating that. It, I think, look, I agree with you for the most part. I think that, you know, talking about people's issues and the healing that the gospel can have in their heart and the, the love and community that, that Christianity has offered me and a loving uh, church and community has offered me, I, I, I hold that very dear. And I don't want some 45-year-old person to try to do a TikTok trend to get someone to get into that because I think that's kind of dumb and it's really not appealing to me, but that's fine. It's not for me. Sometimes things just aren't for you. That's cool. Go find something that is for you. That's a much better use of the, of the time and energy than rally raging that everything isn't for you. And that I think is the difference between, um, just being offended or being put off by something and being really, really annoying about it, which it sounds like is what you don't want to slip into. And the good news is those are not the same thing. They often are coupled together, but they're not the same thing. And with that, we are going to sign off here. Thank you so much for your fine questions. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, take out the song this week. This is, I think, a very good uh, look going to New Year's. This is a worship song by Jed called I Am New. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. I am new.
All right, y'all, pray with me. Lord Jesus, we want our lives to be different than what